sometimes you need to hit the pause button as a clinician um, and a researcher and say, hang on, this is what my underlying assumption is. We want to be evidence-based practitioners, but in fact, this is just how we should practice. Ethics is every part of every clinical decision that we make. And what it is that we do is we make lives better. Welcome to Speak Up, the Speech Pathology Australia podcast. This podcast series highlights conversations with esteemed contributors in the speech pathology space. We explore key issues in the profession in a short and easy to listen to format. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. Hello, this is Jane Delaney from Speech Pathology Australia. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Pamela Twan. Pamela is a certified practicing speech pathologist with over 19 years working with school-aged children in government and special schools in Australia. She has particular interest in language and literacy skills in primary and adolescence, transdisciplinary learning, and coaching of teachers, speech pathologists, and speech pathology students. It's great to be talking with you today, Pamela. Thank you, it's great to be here. Pamela, could you tell me a little bit about yourself and your career as a speech pathologist? Uh, yes, so I started um, back in 2000 and I first worked in Perth for Therapy Focus and they go into schools, um, but it's set up a little bit differently over there where they have units or special schools rather than having integrated uh, students integrated into the classrooms. So there was a lot of working in with the teachers and teaching at that whole class level, even though they were quite small classes, because all the students that had difficulties, uh, had disabilities, were in together. Uh, and then I came to Melbourne and worked for, well, came back to Melbourne actually, because I'm originally from, uh, I went to La Trobe here. Uh, came back to Melbourne and worked in a special school down in Frankston for three years where at the time they had a teacher shortage. So they combined two classes that had very high language needs and I team taught with a teacher. So I was the speech pathologist and she was the teacher. And I guess that gave me um, really solid, uh, a solid understanding of how to um, work with a whole class level. Uh, and I learned so much from that teacher in regards to looking at the whole class and noticing everything that was happening. And it was a really big learning curve for me because, of course, those skills aren't taught at the university level or certainly weren't when I was there. Uh, I then went into the mainstream schools in Victoria and started teaching there. And I was working there for a few years uh, when I started working in the Frankston North area where there are very, very high language needs. They brought me in at first to support the uh, speech pathologist that was working for the education department because she just couldn't get through the number of foundation students. Uh, they had 24 foundation students and all of them except for two uh, had come up as needing full language assessments. So I was assessing them all and thinking, well, what exactly do they want to do with this? And thinking, really, it wouldn't just make sense to see them as, as whole class. They were split across two classes because they had two foundation grade one classes. And so I talked to the teachers and said, would you rather um, I worked with some of them or would you want me to work in with you and, and actually show you how you could work with these children? Because a lot of them, they were coming to school like two-year-olds. They, some of them could only speak one word sentences. They weren't yet putting two words together. They didn't know many verbs. They just had a few nouns, those sorts of things. So very, very basic language. 
um, just because it was a very low socioeconomic area. They didn't have English as a second language or anything like that. It was their first language, but they just had really low language skills. And the teacher said, yes, we would love that. They were quite desperate for that. So I started going into the classroom and and running classes with the teachers. And we would do that together. Often I would run the sessions and then they would do them throughout the week and tell me how they went, put those skills into their literacy sessions and then feedback about where we'd need to go next, what they thought we'd need to do next. And I looked for a lot of research to try and find out whether what I was doing had any research basis and it was really hard to find anything at that time. So the next year we just... we took really strong results. We, we screened everyone at the start of the year with norm tests and then did it again at the end of the year. And we got about two years growth for those students over that year. And then we went, is it just because they're new to the school environment? Is it actually my program or is it something else? So the next year we did a control school to see if they also improved and they were from the same area, um, similar demographic, and they only improved by nine months. So there was a huge difference between the the students at our school that were being exposed to the language program and the students from the school that were not being exposed to the language program. And by the way, that school then did take all our resources and start putting them into their school as well. Um, So that sort of gave me some idea that that what I was doing was at least working in that context and that it was working for those students with those teachers. But we looked at the students a couple of years later Uh, So we were still only working at foundation. And what we found was that they then plateaued after they'd left the program. So then we put it across the whole school because we realised that because they were from environments that perhaps they weren't getting the same language stimulation that they might from um, higher class, middle class um, backgrounds, they might need more from school. And we also started to work more with the families and help them um, to improve the way they interacted with their students and really support the families and the welfare of the families as well. Uh, By the end, we had paediatricians working with us and psychologists and really made it a whole approach um, to everything in in those children's lives and their whole families. Uh, So that was was the approach that I took. And and now I'm working in Dandenong, which is very high... Um, area for English being an additional language. So I think 80% of the students in the school I'm currently working at um, have English as an additional language. So what we've done there is really look at, uh, we interviewed the teachers and did surveys with the teachers to look at the language part of the literacy curriculum and see where their knowledge gaps were and what they were were feeling they needed more confidence in teaching and ended up coming up with a whole program that looked at vocabulary, grammar, spelling and phonics and linking those all together. So a lot of work on things like morphology and etymology and um, sentence structure, those sorts of things. And, And that's been really successful. We've seen the results in NAPLAN go up a lot with that. Yeah. Great. Um, That sounds like you've done a lot of great work in a lot of schools. In terms of working in that whole school level, how is that different to what you've seen traditionally working with speech pathologists working in schools? So I think traditionally in the mainstream schools, there's a lot of time taken up with the assessment because it's so important to get funding, obviously, so that the the um, schools can support the students, that often that is a huge 
um, take up of the speech pathologist's time. And it's also an expectation from the admin that that's almost been set up, that now that's what they see speech pathologists do, is come and do those assessments um, so that they can get funding. And often that will uh, mainly go towards aid support. Um, but it can perhaps be looked at for other things as well. Um, and I think having a speech pathologist to work with the students that have language needs, I mean, that's why we're doing the language assessments is to see where their language at, is at, is really important. And then the next thing that they think of often is articulation. So if your child um, can't pronounce words well, then you think of a speech pathologist. But often language skills are a little bit more hidden. So perhaps it will be that a child has really difficult behaviour and it's because they're not understanding what's going on because their language, their receptive language is low or they're not able to express what they need because their expressive language is low. And so that child might then go to a psychologist or they might look at behavioural strategies but not realise that what would really work well is to have a really good language program. And what's great about having a speech pathologist work in with the school and with everybody is that they can see that and they can set up whole school programs that will support not only the literacy development, but also the vocabulary for maths, and also the structure for language that will support children's behaviour, so that they build their language skills and being able to understand what's going on and build their ability to express themselves as well in a verbal way rather than acting out. You talk about the whole school model. Could you expand on that for us? No problem. So it gets called the response to intervention model. And I'll, I'm going to actually go backwards in explaining it. So I'm going to start with tier three. Tier three is probably what we're most known for, which is taking an individual child and working with them. Now, generally we do this when there's very complex needs. So perhaps they have dyspraxia or uh, they have trouble with fluency, those sorts of things that really need that one-on-one -on -one intervention. Then we go to the small group model where if children in the classroom are not getting enough from the whole school model they might need a little bit of extra to catch up but it really should at that at that small group uh, be the same as what they're doing in the classroom it's like extra uh, input of what's happening in the classroom so that means that you need to have uh, a speech pathologist input at the whole class level to make sure that you're supporting the development of the language across the school. And then when you're taking them for intervention in those small groups, it actually fits with what the school's doing. Because you don't want to be doing something completely different. If you're doing something completely different for an hour a week, it's not going to transfer. So that's where the whole school model becomes really important. Um, and knowing what the school does knowing what their annual implementation plan is, what their goals are, what they're going to be judged on, what the expectations of the teachers are. If you understand all of that, it makes it so much easier to then know how you can support the children that are with those, with those teachers and support the teacher in supporting those children and support the whole school in supporting those children. Because, of course, that's what everyone wants to do. But if they've got pressures coming that look different to what pressure you're putting on, it, then they think it's an extra thing they're being asked to do instead of seeing you as a support that's coming in to help them reach the goals that they're already working towards. So given that a lot of speech pathologists would be working at that tier three and tier two level. If there was a speech pathologist who was looking to implement a whole class uh, program or a whole school program, 
what would be your go-tos for getting started? Because obviously that can seem quite overwhelming in terms of going into a school that um, doesn't have a program such as that in place. Yeah, um, I think the, the first step is having conversations, especially with the admin administration. So your either your vice principal or your principal, uh, curriculum leaders, uh, that sort of thing, the people who are having to put that annual implementation plan in and put things across the school. Um, so that they're, because they're the ones working with the team and you want that if they're not on board, that's very difficult then to work from a whole school model. And what you want to do first is ask a lot of questions, find out what it is that they're working towards, ask about the AIP, explain that you want to support what they're doing and make sure that whatever your therapy is, and you can always start by saying, I want to make sure my small group therapy is along the same lines as what you're doing so that the students aren't getting confused. I want to know what it says in your AIP, so I'm working towards the same goals. Uh, I want to know what it is the teacher's being asked to do in the classroom so that I can best support the students. And if you start from there, looking at your tier two and trying to fit in with the school, you'll then find out if there are gaps in that school curriculum that you can then say, well, actually, how about um, I do a little bit of this or I could perhaps provide some professional development around this particular element because it seems to be missing. Or so, for example, phonemic awareness is a big one that often comes up and is often a really good place to start because it's not something that's taught in many universities for teachers. and. It's often, the research has shown there's often gaps in that area. And you can do some fun little tests with them in a professional development afternoon that will help them see that all of them are actually struggling with it because that's, that's the usual. We've done it plenty of times and found that is. And then they're like a team together working out, well, what do we do about this? How do we work on it together? And often we find that's a really good step in um, to start working with the teachers. Yeah. So, and, and I guess just them understanding that because we don't have to work across every single subject or even the whole of the literacy curriculum, because we're just really doing the language part, we become quite specialised in that. It doesn't mean we're smarter. It doesn't mean we have better skills overall. It's just we've got time to focus on that one area, develop our knowledge in that particular area and then support teachers who haven't got time to be specialists in that area in developing their knowledge. In terms of developing teachers' knowledge, what uh, kind of model of um, support do you provide? Is it, um, you talked about a transdisciplinary approach um, and going into classrooms, how do you support teachers in that space? Uh, so what I do at the moment is I've got, we've got a program that we've written uh, that has three sessions a week that links vocabulary, grammar, phonics and phonemic awareness. So this isn't the same that we've always done, but this is what we're doing right now. Uh, it has three session plans written a week for every year level. So it's quite a lot of session plans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, the teachers can then book me in if there is any plan that they're not sure how to do. So let's say uh, there was a session plan and it was on how to teach complex sentences. And they said, oh, I'm not sure. I've had a look at the plan, I'm not sure, can you have a go? Then I would go in and model it. But what we also do is have a different, uh, so we've got middle, junior and senior school and also the EAL school. 
So we have a different focus each term. So first term I was working with the one twos most of the time and I would go in and model two sessions a week for each of them. Then term two it was the three fours, then term three it was the EAL school and now I'm working with the five sixes. So even if teachers don't book me in, I've got those sessions booked every week that I go in and um, they then get it modelled to them for that term and they have said they find that really useful and a lot of the teachers are a little bit daunted by the idea of booking you in so having it set and you just going in and doing it makes them feel much more comfortable eventually you can then go to the coaching model which we have done with the foundation teachers because they've been doing it for a lot longer because we started with foundation so now we would go in they will run the class and then we can go through it with them afterwards and say how do you think you went and actually provide feedback and it's been very positive and we did go and do and I would recommend doing a course on giving feedback or on coaching before doing that just to make sure that you set it up as a really positive thing yeah excellent could you talk about the challenges that you've experienced working within the RTI model or in a whole school approach Yes, definitely. I think your first challenge is making sure that administration is with you uh, that, and, and that their view of speech pathology is the same as what you're wanting to provide. So sometimes that takes a lot of discussion and maybe even them seeing some of the results. If you've got data to show what you can actually do for the school, that can help as well. And just showing where other schools have moved NAPLAN results can help if you, because that's something that principals are very much judged on is how their NAPLAN results are moved. Um, also knowing the curriculum. So if you go in and you don't know the curriculum well, that can be a bit of a, uh, a difficulty. So getting to really know it, and that's something we're not taught in uni, so that's something that you really have to research yourself. The other thing that can be a challenge is working with some teachers, they can find it very intimidating having someone come into the classroom. Now, I think that's changing overall. I think classrooms have become much more open. There's a lot more team teaching, and that has become a lot easier because of that. They're used to, more used to people coming into their classroom and watching what they're doing or doing things with them. So it is easier than it used to be, but it can still be a challenge that some teachers will find that really intimidating. Even with you running the class, they can sometimes find that that's a little bit intimidating. So it's building up that relationship and making sure that they know that it does not matter at all what level learning they're at, what they already know doesn't matter, it's that they're growing. Just the same as with the children, just the same as with us, we all want to grow in our knowledge and we're not there to judge where their knowledge is at, but we're there to support them if they where, to where they want their knowledge to go next in regards to language and how to teach it in the classroom. Pamela, if a speech pathologist who was early in their career was wanting to go into schools and work within this whole school approach, what strategies would you give them in terms of how to start? Should they be doing one or two classes or would you just go into one single class and, and collect data on students? It might depend on the size of the school, but generally you would start with either one cohort or one class. So if it was quite a small school, there might only be two classes in foundation, for example. So then you could perhaps do both classes. But yeah, I would definitely only start with one year level and usually foundation is where they want you to start. 
and, and where it works best. Uh, and then you could pick even just one area that you worked on. So you might go into foundation and just measure phonemic awareness using the SPAT and then uh, work with the children on phonemic awareness with the teacher developing their understanding of how to teach phonemic awareness and then after six months have a look again at where the children have got to and also look at their reading results and where they've got to and see if it's had an impact there. Generally, if I was to ask you to outline the benefits that you've seen, both with working with teachers, with schools and with um, children, what are the, the outcomes that you've seen the really important thing in the end is what happens for the children. And what we see is that there's growth for all of them and much better support for those that need a lot of support. We find that when we work on the language of the whole class and you really aim for the top kids, you aim to push the top kids, we find that everyone grows and the children at the bottom then get the scaffolding and the support that you need. So you aim at the top and you provide that scaffolding and we just see so much growth and the results in the, in what happens for the children is what, what we care about the most and that's what we see. But you get the greatest amount of growth for children if you can work with as many adults as possible because it's as many adults as possible that will spread that knowledge and will reach as many children as possible. So if we're just working with one individual child at a time, we don't get to very many children. But if we're working with adults, you help so many more children in, by doing that. Yeah. Thank you, Pamela. That's been a really informative discussion and I hope that we're able to provide an insight for speech pathologists already working within this model, but also for those who are wanting to change their practice within schools. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.